right? Because to me, having the, I don't know, like the, the name brand food is not interesting enough. What's interesting to me is doing this path. Like the trade-off of, of, of work doing the same reports, going to the same office, being around the same people every day so you can afford those things. It's just not interesting enough to me. But it is for other people. That's why it's such a, it's one of the things I learned through my path too, is like we are all on our own individual paths. And I think once I realize that, it's like I look at my life as my life and I don't need to look at my life as compared to my friends. I don't need to look at my life as compared to people on social media. Because when I'm like 90 years old on my deathbed, are those people on social media going to care about me at that point? No, absolutely not. So I, I, I have kind of a mindset now where I feel like, and I think it's a mindset most people should adopt is like you have to earn the right to have an opinion on what I'm doing with my life. And like if you haven't taken the time to get to know me and be there for me and stuff, I'm really, I'll take your ideas into account, but like on a very deep level, you have to earn the right for me to really like want to change my path in any way because of what you say. And I think everyone should be that way. Because when you get more into... Hi, Shit Talkers. Welcome to Talk Show with P. And I am your host, Paula, the Shit Talker. I mean, don't we all like talking shit anyways? <laughs> are you a creator? If so, you are in the right space. Talk Show with P is a place where we showcase and celebrate the talents, works, and stories of creative minds from all walks of life while also raising awareness for mental health through providing a supportive space to share their stories, insights, and experiences. We will be discussing creative journeys, the high, lows, and the ways we manage our mental health through it all. Join us each week for inspiring conversations, useful resources, and a community of like-minded creators as we dive into the minds of creative beings to explore their journeys, struggles, and triumphs. So whether you're a seasonal creative or just starting out, Talk Show with Peace, the podcast for you. Hey, Rob, you're finally on my side now. Welcome to Talk Show with Peace. <laughs> yeah, it's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for saying yes. Now, for people who don't know, I actually just came across Rob recently, and uh, we're going to talk about his mission and his journey. And shout out to my foes. This is the reason I got a hold of him and we had a conversation and i was just like you want to be part of my season seven and here we are so thank you for saying yes rob yes the ripple effects of connection <laughs> right right so rob your mission is spending one hour one-on-one with ten thousand people that is truly a fascinating journey what inspired you to do this I so I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia and I'm the youngest of three in my family. So both of my older siblings went to Penn State University, which is it's like a big school in the center of Pennsylvania, not to be confused with Penn, the Ivy League school. But yeah, I went to the state school, the party school. We have forty thousand students and I think my social experience there was a bigger part of college than my academic experience. So I still did well in school and stuff, but I studied finance, but then I was uh, I was a tour guide for prospective students. I did this fundraiser to raise 
money for the fight against pediatric cancer. I was uh, part of Habitat for Humanity, so I built houses over spring breaks. I was a homecoming captain, and I think that's it. I just did a lot, and I met a lot of people. And you studied finance. Like, finance is not an easy subject, like, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, my roommate studied electrical engineering, and he used to tell me that I studied shapes and colors because his, <laughs> his was much harder than mine. But, yeah, I liked business. I liked finance, and I liked the application uh, of it, like how much – opportunity you had coming out of school but yeah i was always out like every thursday friday saturday out at parties and whatnot but it just became a way for me to meet a bunch of new people and i would create a lot of relationships through the clubs and through class so all of a sudden forty thousand people felt like 40 people like it just felt like i knew everyone on campus and i would always run into people whether i was out at the bars or on the way to class so i went from that environment I graduated 2013, and then I went into consulting for Deloitte. So I went from, like, a big campus knowing everyone to a cubicle knowing no one. And that was a really hard transition for me. And I also minored in entrepreneurship. So I feel like I had one foot in the corporate world, one foot out of the door from the very start. And uh, as I was working for Deloitte and making great money, and I had a girlfriend at the time, and I was checking all the boxes that you're supposed to check after school, I just didn't find myself to be fulfilled. So I was like, okay, something's not right here. And I don't know what it is. I, I just had either the confidence or the naivety to be willing to change my situation without fearing the risks of it. So I left Deloitte after a year and three months and went to a tech startup that had $24 million in funding at the time. And I had to pay back $5,000 of a bonus to quit Deloitte to take a pay cut to go work at this startup. And for me, it was just like, yeah, sure, that makes sense. So then I was at the startup. I moved into Philly for that job. And when I was there, I felt like I could recreate that sense of community that I had at Penn State. And I had already been kicking this idea around as a potential entrepreneurial journey that I could go on. And I wanted it to be my career. So I figured I'll meet 10,000 people because that forces you to do it full time as a career. Otherwise, you'll never complete it. And I, I wanted to be a positive example of human connection for other people. and. I wanted to yeah, get back to that sense of community. So I started meeting people in Philly in November of 2015. And the girl that I just met was number 5,800. Where'd you go? The girl that I just hopped off the call. The thing is, in my head, it went to a different guy. And I remember, you know, <laughs> my brain went somewhere else. Oh, my bad. Yeah, <laughs> Wow, that's so impressive. And I feel like you did college the right way because I tell people if you are not as social in college, because I feel like college, that was the main purpose of it. Like I also did a lot in college. I was in the international clubs. I was in the events industry. I was going to camping. I was like, I would pass my campus and I knew everybody. I was in events already. I was studying hospitality. So we already like always doing shit around campus, but I would know people were in the, who were studying finance, who were in the like different programs and people would be like, how do you know these people? I'm like, I constantly have to organize events. I have to talk to people of different sectors. I have to mingle. And I think that I, I was over a friend. My dad used to say that, you know, way too many people. Or I'm like, no, too many people know me. Like, it's another. 
But I loved being social. And now I went to, like, after COVID, I went, like, anti-social. But you did you did college the right way. So speaking of your mission, right, um, what would you say has been the most profound moments you have experienced through this journey and interactions? Because that's a lot of interactions. Like, you're, you're in 5,000 and what again right now? 5,800. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot of interactions. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. I don't know. I think that there's. When you ask that question, I think about certain people that I met, and then I think about certain experiences which I can get into in the project, and then I think about how I've grown from the entrepreneurial journey. So there's a handful of different categories, but. I have just met so many people a couple of weeks ago I had, and I feel like it's all empathy, right? Like you gain empathy when you hear other people's stories and then you start to see life from their perspective instead of your own. And you're like unlearning your own filter and learning how to adopt theirs as you look at situations. And if you're not doing it, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, I think you lose the ability to do that. I think empathy is a muscle that has to constantly be exercised. But I met a few weeks ago, I, there was a woman that I met, her mom died when she was dying from a blood clot from, she pulled a muscle playing tennis and died three days later. And then her dad died within the next three years. And I met a guy before that same week, his dad died of a heart attack when he was five. His mom was a severe alcoholic. He and his siblings were taken from her and put in with his aunts and uncles. I met a guy from the Philippines. His dad died last year, but his dad had spent his life in Saudi Arabia working to support the family. So this guy that I, he was 19 throughout his life. He had only spent a month and a half total with his dad because his dad was constantly working to support the family. And then he passed away. And now they don't have like the breadwinner of the family anymore. So he's kind of finding his footing and stepping into that role. And I met another woman. Again, this is all the same week. Her dad committed suicide when she was four years old, I believe. And then two weeks before she was set to leave for college, her older brother committed suicide. So it's like you think about if you're getting all of that in one week, and I've been doing this now for almost eight years. November will be eight years. You can just take that as a sample size and think about how much you would grow as a person in whatever 52 times eight is. And then one of the coolest moments for my project was I was on Kelly Clarkson's talk show in 2019. And it was definitely the biggest piece of media that I had ever done. And still to this point that I had had ever done, but the whole audience was made up of people that I had met through my project. So it was profound in the sense that like I'm meeting these people and kind of just like us having this podcast, just because I meet them once doesn't mean I'll never see them again. Right. And in this situation, they were all together as a community for one of the most important days of my career. And I think that was really cool just to see it's like alchemy, right? Because it at one point was just an idea in my head that I decided to take action on. And as a result, then there's a room full of people that I know that don't know each other, but are forming connections with each other because they had this shared experience of seeing me and then they're they're part of the audience. So that was really cool. 
and then I think be, being on the entrepreneurial journey of like starting from a consulting salary and with a finance degree and going all the way to 2018, I had $500 left in my bank account. And then in 2019, I had $200 left. And, and then in COVID, I was 30 years old living in my childhood bedroom without the ability to move out. Like I could just couldn't afford it. So there's a lot of questioning, like, am I crazy for doing this? Is the judgment that other people have of my path true? Or am I just in a period right now where I still have to grind and then the future will be brighter? And I think it really tests you when things aren't going your way, but you still have to show up every day. And I think those have been some of the moments that I've grown the most in. Hey, shit talkers. Are you ready to finally finish the book you started two years ago? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. That one. The one that is still sitting in a Word document on your computer just like mine. <laughs> well, no more. None of that. Let me tell you, shit talkers, no one is going to get the job done more quickly like my girl, Eliquity. I'm finally, oh my God, getting my book done because of her. She's working with me to write my book and she can do the same with you. She can help you finally finish the book you started. Get your book finished before the end of the year. Publish the baby and add Arthur to your bio when you hire my girl Eliquity as your ghostwriter. Go to our website www.writeforyou.me and click on a discovery call button to grab a time on our calendar today. Yes, that is www.writeforyou.me. What are you waiting for? Let's get this author title added up to our bios. Do it now. Thank me later. So much to unpack over there. I don't even know where to start. But this is uh, a lot of things that I, I, I want to dig in. First of all, let's go to Carrie Clarkson because I'm I, I'm a big fan. How did you end up getting into Carrie Clarkson? Like, how did that that happen? Yeah, it sounds like it would be really complicated, but they just DM'd me on Instagram. No it. fucking way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You would never expect an answer like that. Yeah, they just DM'd me. Like, I know we sometimes are the ones who like constantly keep DMing people to get their attention, but to think like, oh, they can actually just send me a DM just like that and be like, hey, you want to come on? Did you feel like it was maybe like a spam or somebody's playing a joke on you? Or did you actually be like, oh, fuck, yeah, okay, that's a one. Yeah, well, it's funny because I think they DM me like, it was like July 25th of 2019 or something. And the year before, like July 26th of 2018, I had an email that was like, I want to get you on air with Ryan Seacrest. And then I was on his show. And then the next, it was like a year and a day earlier, it was Kelly Clarkson. And I was like, okay, I'm on this annual July American Idol kick here. So <laughs> I was waiting for 2020, but it never came. But yeah, it was like one of the producers DM me. And it's just a, a matter of serendipity. The timing worked out because one, her show was new. And two, they had a good neighbor theme to it. So they were looking for stories that fit that theme. And I had just been covered by CBS Philadelphia and the Philadelphia Inquirer. So like at the time that they were searching for these human connection stories, mine had just been published. 
So I don't think that I would be able to get on her show today because it's more established. I don't know if they still have that theme. Like I haven't had recent press on my project. So it's just a, a serendipitous moment where it all came together. I mean, we're, we're not moving backwards, right? I mean, Rob, you're going to get to bigger and bigger shows because you have also evolved and grown and became even more bigger. So but we've already done that. So we're going to wait for newer. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but also you shared about um, all these stories in just one week. And um, how how does hearing all these people share the stories because right now just you giving me the cliff notes i didn't spend an hour with it and i know how emotional and empathetic i am like i'm a softie so does that affect your mental health hearing like you know losing a father suicide all those every one hour the stories in a week how does that make how do you keep your mental health sane hearing all those stories i think Part of it, probably the biggest piece is that I'm able to then share these stories. So if you think about it, like the information comes in and then it goes out. And I think with mental health in general, it builds up when we don't have a release for it, right? And we like, yes, we have issues going on and we don't talk about them and they get bottled up and then eventually it explodes. They blow up, yep. Yeah. But for me, I'm able to share, and I, I don't share everything that people tell me, but for the most part, I'm able to be pretty candid with the stories that I write. So I think that's helpful. I think another thing is maybe it's just the way that I'm wired. Like I, I can acknowledge people's experiences and hold space for them, but I don't feel the need to solve their lives. And I think that's something that they really appreciate. Like they don't want the, the they don't want me to come in and say, well, here's what you should do oh, you should do this. I feel so bad. You've got to do this. They just want someone to talk to that they don't really need to bounce things back. And I think that I've gotten really good at that. Uh, and I can, I, and I think there's nuance to it too, being able to hear really sad things of people's lives and, and how you take in that information. Like I think I'm much better at it now than I was not eight years ago. But yeah, it's wild. I mean, I, I was kind of thrown into the fire with that. The very second person that I met was an artist in Philly, and I met him at his studio. And he was showing me his art, which was really cool. And he said that there was a dark period that his art went through for years. And he was like, yeah, one day my dad was sitting in his armchair, and he got up, went in the other room, and shot himself with a shotgun and took his own life. And I don't know if I was equipped to handle that type of information at that time, but you learn very quickly how to interact and what you're supposed to do. So, yeah, I think that's part of it as well as just not feeling the need to solve people's issues, but acknowledge them. And that's so true. And, and it's something that I also started learning because um, I've started preaching to people because I used to make the same mistake. And I think that's why sometimes when our friends wanted to talk to us to, with certain stuff, it would drain us because instead of just listening and allowing the person to vent and just talk, we are quickly wanting to fix it like it's a puzzle, but it's not our job to fix. It's just listen and just lend a shoulder. You know, sometimes, most of the time, people just want to talk to somebody and not like, and that's why sometimes even people, I feel like our friends don't come to us because they feel like if I share, they're going to 
want to give me advice or an opinion or uh, a, a way to solve it, but I don't want them to solve it. I don't want advice. I just want them to listen. So that's, that, that's something that I've been learning to do too because I've been worse on that. Like I always want to fix and fix and fix, but then I realize I can't even fix my own shit. Why do I want to fix <laughs> One thing at a time. <laughs> right? But I also want to give you um, kudos on uh, most of us, even though we feel in our lives or we are not we are not happy even though like you know we have we grow up thinking that life is supposed to be this way you go to college you come out of college you get the corporate job you get the boyfriend girlfriend you you get the house you get married and and then we end up that's why so many people are miserable because they've done all that but then they're not happy because that's not the life they're not actually enjoying that life but it has been made in our minds that that's how we are supposed to live. Like that's how, but I like the fact that you realize like, okay, this isn't for me and decided to find your own path. So um, how was the support? Cause I feel like certain people can't leave that job and start doing something like, you know, especially when our parents or your friends, they might be laughing at you. They might be like, what? Mm-hmm. You're leaving your corporate job to go be a podcaster? Are you crazy? Like, what the fuck mm-hmm. is that? So sometimes some people don't end up doing that because they the lack of support. How was your support when you decided to venture into this life? Especially when you say when you left your job, you had to give back the money. And, and that can't be easy, right? And then uh, eventually you had to move back home into your childhood house. Some people feel like, oh, my God, I'm moving back home that's already failing. How are my friends going to look at me? How are people going to judge me? All those things. How did that work out for you? Yeah, I think that for some while, I always trusted myself. And like, I feel like I calibrated that trust through little things, like my study habits in college. Like I knew I could go out Thursday, Friday, Saturday, because I knew I was disciplined enough to spend all of Saturday and all of Sunday in the library. And like going to the gym, it became non-negotiable for me where I'd go to the gym Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And it's like, it's not, oh, I'm tired today, so I don't go. It's like, no, this is a non-negotiable, so you go, because I know that this is good for my health. So when I started the project, I kind of had that same mindset as well. And I, I, I met eight people before I ever started the Instagram account, and I was like, okay, I met eight, I'm going to meet 10,000. I know I'll commit until the end and when I took it full time my brother I'm the youngest of three like I said I have an older brother who's two years older than me and a sister who's six years older than me and my brother was like well when I first told him I wanted to go full time before I was laid off from my job he was like I don't think that's a good idea you have to have money but I said if I do would you support me and he was like yeah of course so mentally he was always and emotionally he was always there from the beginning my parents and my sister struggled with it. I remember when I was laid off, it, to them, it was like, you're not realizing the reality of this situation. Like you have to get a job. You have to be working. You have to work your way up in a corporate ladder. And if you don't do that, you're gonna end up homeless in the street somewhere. And that was their worry. And uh, that worry existed for years. And I think it still does to an extent, but 
especially like I my when I was laid off from the tech startup. So I worked for them until they were acquired. That's why I was laid off. I'd met like a hundred people. I was eight months into this project, decided to jump into it full time. Finished out my lease in Philly, which was eleven more months, and then my friend in LA was willing to host me, so I spent the summer with him. But then at 27 years old, I moved back in with my parents, no job, no income, no girlfriend. And in their mind, they were like, well, all your friends are proposing right now. And what are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, all your friends are getting promoted in their jobs. What are you doing? So my parents were not, and I love my parents. I come from a very loving family. So you have to see, hear all of this through that filter. But they were really worried. So they weren't like, oh, we're so proud of you. You're doing such a cool thing. It was more of like, you have to stop this project and get a job. And I would fight them on it. And I would continue doing what I would do. And multiple times, my dad would be like, you have to stop. Like, you, you have to stop this project and go back to a job. And I'd be like, well, people take on like partnerships through social media. And he'd be like, well, other people do. But you can't. It's not working out for you. Like, it's not going to work for you. And then, oh, well, people can learn how to speak. Oh, well, people, other people can speak, but not you. So it was not a, a th and I really had to pull them through kind of like just the, I had to pull them up to the view and be like, here, look, here's what I told you. And I think I heard a, a quote that was like, other people can't see your vision until it's real. And mm -hmm. I firmly believe in that. And I think that one of the issues, which I empathize with my parents too, was I couldn't tell them here's exactly the plan of how this is going to work and how I'm going to support myself. And so because I couldn't explain it to them, they thought it would never happen. But I always say I was willing to walk in the darkness long enough to uncover the answers. And I think that's where a lot of people get stuck is they take one step into the darkness and they're like, nope, not for me. The answer's not there. Too dark. Yeah. So, but I will say like my friends were really supportive as well. So my friends and my brother were always there. My sister came around. My parents have since come around. And the other thing was the people who were part of my project. Like I might have had my parents being really worried about me, but every day, four times a day, I was meeting with people who were like, this is so cool. It's so inspiring what you're doing. So you, it kind of balanced out the talk. And then the, the other people was, your push where the push wasn't being given. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And the other thing is I'm just stubborn enough or <laughs> confident or naive enough whatever to it just became I got, I got to the point where I went all in I think because once you the fear is like I'm going to run out of money and then as you get to like close to zero dollars in your bank account it, I literally thought about it I was like if I hit zero dollars in the bank account it's not like I die and they remove me from earth because they're like game over it's like okay well now I have to figure out path forward and I could do a GoFundMe I could go back to consult like in my mind, I was like, rock bottom is having to interview for a six-figure salary job. It's just not what I want to do. But that option is there. It's not like, it's not like my finance degree was taken away from me. It's not like my Deloitte experience was taken away from me or my startup experience. And I could always spin the story of what I was working on to land a new job. So, yeah, I always say like rock bottom had a big pillow on top of it. And I'm lucky that that was from my experience, the support system that I had, and ironically, like the loving family that I grew up in and the confidence my parents allowed me to develop as a kid. And that's so true. You know what you say? Because I remember um, 
when my sister was starting her business and it was PI and marketing and back in the days like PI and marketing wasn't like as important as it is right now you know when it was still so my mom was like what the fuck is that like you have a whole degree go get a job it, it felt like most of our parents they felt like unless you're in the corporate world then no and I, and I, and we understand cuz if my parents are loving and you have to understand that it does come in a loving place they're just wide like you need to have money you need to live and especially them be parents like yes we are here right now you have a roof but what if we are going tomorrow what what you going to do so and, and all these things they're still new to them like the social media work the people being content creators and it, it it's a new world for them it, they didn't grow up with that world so it's not easy for them to understand and see how you going to make a life with this kind of work or anything even though they want to support like the love is there but they're still not getting it and as you said unless people people don't see the full picture can never fully understand and i think that's where most people end up giving up because they feel like oh if they're not seeing my vision maybe i'm wrong no as long as you're seeing your vision and you know where you your vision is going even if you can't explain it you just got to keep going i tell people all, all the time like i've been broke and i didn't die it's okay <laughs> you know yes. like, and there are people who have been in corporate worlds and shit has also failed like you know mm-hmm. covid has taught us that nothing is ever forever whether you're in the corporate world or you're you can be up today and you can be down tomorrow so might as well be down but doing something you love <laughs> and eventually those people eventually they'll come to see the light and they'll be like oh my god i'm so proud of you and you're like i told you i got this I told you <laughs> yeah <laughs> so so I like that you're supposed to be cocky and confident and cuz you can't want people to bet on you if you're not betting on yourself and not going full on in on yourself so i just had a conversation with a friend recently and she came to me and she was like i love how you're doing for your podcast like you keep making this you never i i never know how i'm making it to conferences or shit but i say i'm going to go i'm going to go even if i lose my job i know that conference is going to be something for my podcast the connections the networking everything is what i need to be and i make it and i go she came and she told me she was like you know what i think i'm going to quit my job and do this fact she, she has entered in the finance world and and she loves it and she went on a fast conference and she came back and she was very excited she was like i understand why you guys share your stories and do the things you love and go i'm going to quit my job and go cuz if i'm doing it with my job right now and this is how much i can imagine if i have my job and go all in i'll be doing much more and i'm like do it if that's what you want to do do it like fuck it and do it so to see people these days that they are willing to do that and realize that they are wasting that time and that energy where they could be placing it because clearly my full-time job is making me not go full in on this and if i can get rid of it why the fuck not mm-hmm. right Yeah. So thank you for inspiring everybody to 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 do that. Everybody should do that. <laughs> yeah, and it's all I think it's like part of it is your risk tolerance too, right? And how much weight you're willing to hold. Like I'm willing to go to the grocery store and shop not by what I want, but what is the cheapest price per ounce. 
like I literally like I'll be like, oh well, the pretzels pretzels are so much cheaper than the chips, so I'm just gonna get that, or yeah, I, I, like and the cheapest brand instead of the most expensive brand, they are all pretzels at the end of the day. Uh, right? Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm getting the giant store brand everything. Me too. I'm like, I'll be like, I only need this stuff. Yes, so. I, I literally a few days ago, I, my paycheck came in and it all went out. And I was looking at my mom. I was like, "I only have sixty dollars." I'm. A, she's like, "What are you gonna eat?" I'm like, "I'm going to the grocery store. You wait and see how much I'm gonna get for more." It was like all the cheapest things, but the things that I really needed that are gonna last. And I'm like, mm. "Okay, this is gonna be enough until my next paycheck. We gonna keep moving." <laughs> yeah, but it's a yeah, it's like a preference thing, right? Because. To me, having the, I don't know, like the, the name brand food is not interesting enough. What's interesting to me is doing this path. Like the trade-off of, of, of work doing the same reports, going to the same office, being around the same people every day so you can afford those things. It's just not interesting enough to me. But it is for other people. That's why it's such a... It's one of the things I learned through my path too is like we are all on our own individual paths. And I think once I realized that, it's like I look at my life as my life and I don't need to look at my life as compared to my friends. I don't need to look at my life as compared to people on social media. Because when I'm like 90 years old on my deathbed, are those people on social media going to care about me at that point? No, absolutely not. So I, I, I have kind of a mindset now where I feel like and I think it's a mindset most people should adopt is like you have to earn the right to have an opinion on what I'm doing with my life. And like if you haven't taken the time to get to know me and be there for me and stuff, I'm really, I'll take your ideas into account, but like on a very deep level, you have to earn the right for me to really like want to change my path in any way because of what you say. And I think everyone should be that way because when you get more into uh, when pursuing things, like you should take people's advice if you're like going off the rails and they're like, Hey, you should fix your life. But, um, when pursuing things, it's not a race against other people. It's just a race against our own potential. Yeah. And that's so true. And, 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 and that thing comparing, I think most, most of us, that's where we end up giving up or losing hope or anything. Cause you're comparing your first year to somebody's fifth year. Or also again, you don't know their journey. You, what you see, I, that's the thing about social media. It 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 has a lot of benefit, but then the other side of it is we see what people decide to show you. You don't know what is actually going on behind that. You don't know how if they for for six months they were not they were just surviving through pretzels and water to make that shit happen. They don't show you that part. But when you just see them like, oh my god, how come he just been doing that for six months and didn't happen? Yeah, but you don't know in those six months if instead of going out, he was putting every dollar, every cent, every energy, every sweat on this while you were doing all this, but you're expecting the same result as that. So that comparing thing, I, it took me a while to understand, like, listen, I'm on my own journey and what's meant for me will be, I just need to focus on my journey and what I am doing. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's another reason why I love meeting people is, you know, just from 
meeting with me when we met. It's just a very candid conversation. So I always say I'm rooted in reality. Only people I follow on Instagram are the people that I've met through my project. So my first exposure to them is their true, real story that we get to discuss. And then whatever I see on social media is like, okay, well, I already know the foundation of who they are. Like they might be on this cool trip in the Bahamas, but I know that their dad passed away like six months ago. It's just so. Such so true. And that's what I like about your project because, um, again, you are not interviewing people. You are literally just having conversations. Because I remember when I came, when we had ours, our conversation was like, now I feel like, oh, my God, I can't wait for when I finish recording this so I can ask you the shit that we were talking about because I feel like, oh, my God, we had this conversation. It was just like a conversation. It wasn't like an interview, you digging into my life for me. Like, you just start and wherever it leads, wherever it goes, it goes. And... That makes the connection even much more better because people just end up talking whatever they want to talk, not because you ask no dig, they just share and you make this connection that's unbelievable. I love that. Yeah. <clears throat> you emphasize the importance of um, treating, treating connections as an experience and not as a transaction rather than a transaction. So can you elaborate on how this shift in the mindset can transform our relationships on our daily interactions? Because, again, as I, I like how you put that because most of us do take this connection, these meetups as transactions, like, oh, um, if, I, if I meet up or if I do this, then maybe they'll do this. It's always, it's always that, even the giving, most people always end up, giving things because they're expecting something back in return and then they wonder why they're not getting blessed because you're supposed to give just to give mm-hmm. and not expect anything in return because the return might not if if i say i come to to help you rob today and i give you something th- my return might not necessarily come from you it might come from somebody else or in, especially when i'm not expecting it or you might end up knowing somebody and they share something and you're like you know what Paula was looking for something because so I'm gonna connect you. So the return is always from somewhere else or something when you're not expecting it or treating it as a transaction. Mm-hmm. So can you elaborate on the connection wise? Yeah, I think when you treat it as an experience rather than a transaction, it like opens up your peripheral vision to the value that you're getting out of that experience. Cause if you go and say, like, uh like I do speaking engagement. So if I go and I'm like well, I want to talk to Paula because I hope that she'll line me up with a speaking engagement and then I can have more money and do my thing. And, and I talk with you and then that doesn't become a result. Then I'm like, all right, well, she's just not worth it. Like it's not, the, the, the conversation wasn't good, whatever. If I come and I'm like, I want to experience this and have this conversation and I can learn about your path and like your family dynamic and your upbringing there's just so much more value that people overlook when they go in with the intention of getting something out of it. When you sit back and you just experience it, you get like the increased sense of belonging of the fact that you and I can hop on this, not as strangers, but now we know each other. And it's like seeing a friend. It's like, it's easy to chat because we already have the foundation of having taken the time to get to know each other. And then there's the knowledge transfer. And then there's the perspective of sharing each other's stories because we like have similarities of our backgrounds. We have differences of our backgrounds. And yeah, I think when you have no 
expectations and you treat it as an experience, you open yourself up to all of that value instead of being pinpointed on one specific thing. I say happiness is the difference between expectation and reality. So when you have no expectations, everything is a pleasant surprise. And I think too, like a lot of people will struggle to understand me wanting to meet so many people without an agenda. But I think a really easy way to think about it is like a foodie. Like you're going to new restaurants to have the experience of trying a new meal. And it's not like you're going to enjoy every single meal that you eat and you might not go. I think people go have back. this yeah, idea where they're like, well, if you talk with someone and you meet with them, then you have to be friends with them and you have to, you have to talk every month. Otherwise it doesn't count. There's no value to it. It's like, well, if you go to a restaurant and you have a meal, do you have to go back every month and get that same meal in order for that to be a good experience? No, like you go to try and to explore and push your comfort zone. And of course, some meals you're going to be like, this is awesome. We have to come back here someday. And you will go back to that place because you gained that exposure to it. And others will be like, wow, that wasn't for me. But it was an interesting experience. Like the way this tasted wasn't for me. Or I didn't like the way they prepared this. And now you're at least aware of it to not go back. But you learned from that experience. So that's how I see connecting with people is almost like the same way that a foodie sees going out and trying new new dishes at restaurants and that's so true because i've met people who have had incredible deep connection conversations like you just meet randomly and talk and it has either remained over there we didn't have to look at some of us don't even exchange co- contacts because at the moment that's what was needed that's what happened but then somehow in six months, they find you because either they were talking to somebody and they remember the conversation you had or something you shared and then they connect you somebody out of the blue only because that conversation, that meeting was genuine. It wasn't like, oh, please look for me. When No, it was just like we, we had a conversation and if you live, <clears throat> I feel like, as you said, if you don't treat it as a transaction, right? And you just take it as a genuine connection and whatever you shared was genuine and you all were having a genuine conversation. Somehow it always just comes back. People remember you when opportunities come, they, they think of you where, cause it was just genuine. They're like, Oh my God, I know that girl. She was so genuine. Try check out. This might be right for her. And it just happens. But when you go with that intention of making it something out of, nothing it always backfires yeah I, I agree and i can look back on my project as so many times that the genuine conversation just did lead to life-changing things like there was a guy that i met in i, think I met him in august of 2016 his name is bernardo margolis and we met and had our meeting and then three years later i had just moved to hoboken new jersey and I guess he saw like my story that I was moving there. And he said, you should connect with my friend, Michelle. She lives in Brooklyn. So I met her and she was the first person that I met in that stint in Hoboken. And she's a public speaker. And she was telling me about how cool that industry was and how well she was doing with it. And she inspired me to get into public speaking. And that's the sole way that I support myself on this journey now. So my meeting with Michelle was a huge shift in my life. But my meeting with Michelle never happens if I don't have my meeting with Bernardo three years earlier. And I didn't meet Bernardo being like, oh, I hope he introduces me to someone that will change my life someday. But it's cool because I'm so thankful for that experience. And I'm sure it's cool for him to be that connector that 
that like set up a valuable meeting in my life. And, and when I met Bernardo, it's not like we kept in touch afterwards. I met him, I hadn't seen or talked to him since he popped back into my life in August of 2019. And then he popped back out. I haven't seen or talked to him since then. But that's not to say like I won't pop into his life in the future. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Because again, on all these co connections, the genuine ones, you, <clears throat> there will not be a transaction, but there'll be inspiration, knowledge, support, and future. Oh, what's the word? Oh my God. Today my, my brain is not working. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my words are not working today. But yeah, all that. So I think most of people also just think of the short run instead of, you know, all these connections that you're building is something for the long haul, you know, the future. Again, as you say, you hadn't spoken to him in three years or something and look what happened. So it's always the wrong. Oh my God, the wrong kind of him. Yeah, 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 I know what you mean. I should have had coffee or a shot this morning. Oh my God, I don't know what's going on with me. Yeah, but um, your experiences, your experience in this journey, uh, from talking has ranged from talking to CEOs to everyday people. Like you talk to just any and everybody, which I love. What would you say, um? What other common threads have you discovered in these conversations? Because um, everybody has overcome extreme challenges. The CEOs, the everyday people, everybody has had their own challenges. And most people always assume the CEOs, the CEOs have worse challenges or anything, but the everyday people, the, the normal people have also had worse challenges and you've had different challenges. But what would you say the, the most common thread that you discovered in these conversations that highlight the universal power of human connection would be? Yeah, well, I always say that the biggest thing I've learned through my project is no one really knows what they're doing with their lives. Everyone's just doing the best they can with the resources that they have. And I think about it like everyone is an amateur when it comes to reaching the next level of their goals. So I don't know. I just, I think I've learned that everyone has insecurities and everyone has uncertainties. And I think really, when I really took that to heart, it humanized everyone. Like I think people would look at someone like Taylor Swift and think, oh, she's got it all together. And I think that's a common misconception that people, oh, well, like if you're rich and famous, of course you're happy. Like, you can't have problems. How could you have problems? You're rich and famous. But even when I talked with Kelly Clarkson on her show, I remember when I was there, I was like, I mean, she's a confident singer, I'm sure, but she's not a talk show host. Like, she was new to that field at the time, so I'm sure she has some insecurities about being a talk show host, and if her show completely bombs and the ratings are terrible and no one cares to listen to her, that's probably a shot to her ego. And she's probably hoping that people care about it and she's probably nervous to do a good job so it doesn't matter if they're ceo or if they're a student or if they're a barista or whatever it might be we all have our insecurities and i think another thing too is like the pressure of people around us a lot of us feel the pressure from our parents to choose a certain field or to succeed to get married by a certain age or to have kids or whatever and then a lot of us feel that pressure from society too to be a certain way so that's just been universal, and that's been really cool to talk to people from all different countries. 
it's like I'll talk to people from the Middle East who are like, yeah, my parents need, think I should go into this field. Or I'll talk to people from Asia, same thing in Africa. And I just think it's funny because it's like we're all living the same kind of experience. It's like a copy and paste, but the details are different. But yeah, I think that those, those have been the big things, like realizing that everyone has uncertainties and that the themes of our life are very similar. And I, when I do my speaking engagements now, I talk about this friend framework, which is family and relationships. It doesn't matter where you're from. We all have a family dynamic and relationships with friends. We have our industry, which is our education into our career. We all have some type of job to pay the bills or some type of education, whatever. We all have uh, ways of entertaining ourselves, hobbies that people, uh, who we are outside of work. And then we all have needs and dreams for the future. Like every, it doesn't matter who you are. You have like a dream of what you want your life to look like going forward. So that has kind of unified everyone in my mind. And, and, and that's so true that you say that because <clears throat> I remember I used to feel like, especially when I was about to turn 30, right? And then that's around that time, all my friends were getting married and having kids and having these corporate jobs. And I was still like, my life was just falling apart. And and I felt like everybody was judging me like, oh my God, your life should be here right now. But uh, I've always being unconventional like i really don't give a fuck i'm gonna do what i want to do but deep down you know every now and then you still get that damn like maybe i should have you know just said yes to that engagement got married and taken that corporate job but um and i used to not i used to be a small talk kind of girl like i wouldn't have deep conversations or anything so when i started having deep conversations with people and just having conversations where we connect i started learning like oh my god we are really not as together as people think you know i might be here thinking like oh my god the way I see Rob, he looks like he's all together, got his shit together. It's like just until you have that conversation and you realize like, oh, okay. I really was thinking like, you know, so it took me that. And that's why, that's why I started loving having these genuine deep conversations and talking to people. Because once you start talking to people, they actually share. But if you end it up in that small talk level, then they're going to leave it there. But when you go deep and, and people do share and you're like, Oh God, I'm not alone. Okay, cool. So having those conversations makes that being like, man, let me just keep doing what the fuck I'm doing because clearly we are. Yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah. It goes back to like being on our, we are on our own individual paths, and you kind of have to. I feel like you have to continuously remind yourself of that too. I don't think that's a mindset that you get into and then you're safe from the the pressure. It's like you just have to continue reminding yourself that you are on your own individual path and like you're not being graded against other people. I I still have to do that. Even though sometimes when I look at at my podcasting journey and see how much I've accomplished, but then when I I also know how much more I want to accomplish because sometimes that can also drain you like, damn, I'm still here, but then we have to look like, okay, but look how how much you've already done, you know? Just got to keep going. So I always try to, to remind myself, and sometimes again, I'm still human. I do sometimes look and, you know, that that 
as you said, it's not like a mindset that sits in your in your luck. Sometimes you look a new podcaster who just came and is doing all this better than you and you're in year three and I'm like, fuck it then. I have I, I look into their journey, I try to to listen to their podcast and see how they come because some people, yes, they're lucky. Some people maybe their content, their niche, because again, different niche. The, that niche is is a very supportive niche. is a is a well needed niche compared to my niche. So all those factors. So I I constantly when when I put myself in that position, I try to be like instead of comparing, why not go learn about their story, about their journey, so that you can get into that mindset like they still also had to go through some shit to get where they are. So mm-hmm. let them enjoy this. And you're on your own journey. You're going to get there. And then also when I look at my parents and I'm like, all I want to do is make my dad proud. By my head, I'm like, but your dad is always telling you how proud you are. You don't have to be like rich and have that house, the dream house and that dream job for him to be proud of you. Because your dad is just proud of you for doing what you're actually loving and happy. Because at the end of the day, our parents just want us to be happy. Mm-hmm. So it's that we that I still have to constantly remind myself, even though deep down I know, like, yeah, this is it. But I still have those days where I have to wake up and be like, Paula, you're gonna get there. You're gonna be all right. It's <laughs> yeah. Well, that's I like to attach myself to the action and not the emotion surrounding it. So it's like, did I meet four people today? Yes. Okay. I'm making progress. So like, did I record a podcast episode this weekend? Yes. And I think it's like we start to determine our own definitions of success. Like success for me is meeting 10,000 people one-on-one for one hour each. And success for me is also spending as much time as possible with the people I care about. So when I look at my life compared to other people, other people might have like more money or, or, more freedom to travel or whatever. But like someone whose partner at Deloitte is irrelevant to me because I'm like, well, how many people have they met one-on-one for one hour each? I feel like I'm leading that field because that's what I'm trying to do. Or are they spending time with the people they care about? And it doesn't even matter, right? Because their definition of success mm, is different. It's different. But yeah. But I, so I think that's a big thing too, is it's like really sitting down and defining what is our own definition of success and, what do we think is cool? I think that's like a struggle too with social media and stuff. Like I really don't care about brand names like Gucci or Louis Vuitton, stuff like that. I'll, I'll wear like Kirkland sweatshirts from Costco or I'll wear Kohl's or. Ross like, is my favorite shopping place. I, I, I love Ross. Like I buy my five ninety nine, six ninety nine dresses and when I walk out people are like, Oh my god, your dresses are nice. Yes, it was six ninety nine. Yeah. <laughs> it's like R- Ross is like the I always think like Gucci reminds me of like the pretty girl that never paid attention to you and then you have like your glove. Like Ross was always there. <laughs> always always and i find my sizes i tell people even I, i've had this conversation so much with my dad i was like i'm so glad i am not into brands like even when i was in malaysia i had so many friends who would spend money in that and guys who would buy that stuff i'd be like i'd rather you give me the the the, the money instead of buying me that 
$5,000 bag that I probably will return it or try to sell it. So, cause I have never been a brand partner. Like, eh, eh, and even I buy cheap stuff cause I don't like clothes like that. My, me and my friends, like, you know, I, I have two best friends who are the same size like me. So whenever we visit each other, we're just going through each other's uh, wardrobes and taking shit. So I'm like, I spent a thousand dollars on a shirt, and then my friend just came and got it. Like that would that would pinch me. But my rascals go and you know take it. Like the only time I'd spend a lot on clothes, it's either a handbag or shoes because they last longer and only if it's a special occasion like my graduation or a specific number of birthday, like my 30th or something. But otherwise, no, no, no. I shop a shoe dazzle. They they sell shoes for $28, $39. Like, like no, because if they get dirty or they get thrown, I'm okay. Like, it wasn't costly. Like, I had a fire, half of my shit in storage and I almost didn't pay my storage fee. I got an email that they're giving me until August 18. Otherwise, my shit will go for sale. This when I called my mom. I was like, the fact that that email didn't even phase me because anything that's in my storage, I'm like, I really don't care much. Like, if they sell them or anything, but I ended up paying the bill just because. Mm-hmm. But, but if I had expensive shit, I'd have been like, oh my God, that's like thousands and thousands in the storage. I need to go. So, yeah. So I'm grateful I was never been a brand person. Like, there are a few things that I will see, I will like, but I've also been a person who I do not, growing up, I never liked being same like people. So, when Everybody was about Gucci and guests. I'm like, why do you all want to be the same? Like, why? There's so many other brands that are very much nice, even better than that shit, but you're just buying it because it's Gucci. Or it's, you don't even like what you're buying, but just because it's a brand. Yeah. Yeah, I think it all matters about the intention. Because I'm sure there are people out there who, like, they love the quality and they love the history and they love, like, the process. And it's like, if that's your thing, Sure, spend five thousand dollars on the thing because you are authentically you authentically care about it. But if you're doing it so that someone else will see you in a certain light and you think that you'll get their approval, like maybe not. I don't know. That's just yep. the way I think about so it. So true. So true, so true. And most of the time, I think also it's um, people adoring these celebrities and things. But half of them, they get paid to wear that shit. Like, I know, like, look at Snoop. I'm a big fan of Snoop. That man, half of the time, is is just in his jog, like, like the simplest. Like, you know, have you seen Adam Sandra? I love Adam Sandra. And you see him in the streets, he's like a homeless man. Like, he just yeah. wears what is comfortable and is chilly. Like half of them don't even care. So I feel like we need to really be, as you said, intentional. Like if that's what you really like, then by all means, spend your money, do you. But if you're doing it for approval, shit, those people don't even care. Like half of the time they're laughing at you and like, did he really spend that money on that shit? For real? Mm -hmm. And then you don't have a car, you don't have a home, but you're buying expensive clothes. But go on, do you. Anyways, I could go on and on on that. So (laughs) let's get back to... We we talk about Kerry Claxton. So being featured by renowned platforms like Cars and Today's Show is a testament of how significant this mission of yours is. How has this recognition influenced your journey? I think it's been helpful because it's it's added credibility to it. Like for example, when I was on Ryan Seacrest's show, after that happened, I sent that segment 
to the head of partnerships of WeWork and tried to land a partnership with them. And like that got my foot in the door because someone sees, oh, well, this project's being covered by Ryan Seacrest, then it's legit. And that led to a nine-month partnership with WeWork. And that was a really important role in, in, in me being able to continue doing this project, having that income at that time. And I think Kelly Clarkson opened a lot of doors for speaking because when I was starting my speaking career two years ago, everyone's like, well, where have you spoken and what have people said? And it's kind of like how you need the five years experience to get the entry level job. And you're like, well, how do I get, I don't know how to do that. So with speaking, I'd be like, well, I haven't spoken anywhere yet. I'm, sp I'm talking to these other schools or companies and here's me on the Kelly Clarkson show. And they'd be like, oh, Kelly Clarkson show. I'm like, oh, I love her. And then you, it just gets Who doesn't love Kerry Croxon, right? Yeah. So it added credibility. And the other thing is it just it gave me more people to meet because people who would see my story on the show would then reach out to be part of my project. And part of me getting to 10,000 is needing 10,000 people to meet. So it, all, it, it pushed me out to a lot of people who didn't already know about my project. So that's the, the cool thing about the press. It's always nice when it, when it comes up. And I think my project ebbs and flows with that stuff because what I've learned in the press world too is like if NBC just covered you, like CBS isn't going to do a story on you because they don't want to cover something that has already been broken in the news. Right. And then if they did a story on you four months ago, they're not going to do another one on you now that like they need to give it time to become relevant again. So it's very like up and down and I thought that some, like being on Ryan Seacrest's radio show, I was like, oh, okay, this is the last time I'll ever have to worry about my project because that's going to be the wave that kind of carries me forward. And then you learn that when you do press, it's like a big jump and then you come back down to earth. And like you're a little bit higher than you were before. And then you have another big jump, but you come back down to earth. You don't jump and stay up at that point because people's interest is, is in you in that moment. But yeah, it added credibility to what I'm doing. It exposed me to new groups of people and it opened doors for me. I can totally understand the up and down. Every time an article comes out about me, it's I'm like there. And then as soon as like two weeks, three weeks, it dies out and you're like, okay, I'm back to being normal again. Can another <laughs> article write about me, please, please? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, out of curiosity, once you get to 10,000, what happens? I think I, well, I'm, I'm doing a lot to build my speaking business right now, and I really enjoy speaking and spreading this message of intentional connection. So I hope at that point that I'm able to just survive off of speaking. Like I'd love to speak like two times a month and then be okay. I also hope to have a wife and kids before, because I think it'll be eight years before I finish the project. I'm 32 now. I think it'd be cool to finish by the time I'm 40. And it'd be nice to have like a wife and kids by that point. So my goal would be to have the time to have my yeah. family be my biggest priority and then speak to support that. And then like, it'd be cool to be a professor at a local university and have a course for first year students where they pair off one-on-one -on -one every class period and learn from each other's backgrounds rather than a textbook or a PowerPoint slide. And I think that nice. would be valuable for them. But I think it'd be cool to be like the chill professor that has the life experience. Like I'm not teaching from a textbook, I'm teaching from my own life. 
And yeah, I think right now I kind of just see it as a balance of those three things, like wife and kids, professor, speaker. And then I say that knowing that that's probably nothing of what it will look like eight years from now, because I would say like, I'll have eight more years of information to decide what I'm doing after 10,000 at that point that I don't have right now. So who knows? I feel like once we are moving closer to 10,000, right, we are, we're going to have to do like a big ass party for that 10,000. And we, we're going to need everybody who we have had one on one, whoever can make it to come, like a big ass party of all of us being there one on one together. So we, we're going to need to make that happen. I'm going to be the event coordinator of that event. Okay. okay. Well, yeah. You, you all right. Can, yeah. Well, well, once you start getting, once you, once you, about nine thousand ish. We will we, start talking about that and, and making a plan because you have you have been meeting with people from all over the world. So it it it, yeah, yeah. it, it will have to the planning will have to start a little bit early so everybody can be able to to to, to travel. <laughs> yeah, if you want to handle all those logistics. You I got it. you. I got yeah. you. I got you. See, I got a job for the next. I'm securing a job for eight years to come. See yeah, all the yeah. power of connections and and, and 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 oh my god! Today, really, the words are not coming out of me. What is wrong with me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, um, so in, in this rapid changing world, AI is taking over, right? Mm-hmm. Every time we're hearing AI, chat GPT and the robots and other aliens, it's, it's like the world is going crazy. How do you see the role of intentional human connection evolving and how are individuals adapting to continue? Forcing these connections where now everybody is trying to use AI and, you know, I think also the fact that COVID happened and people started relying more on on online instead of actually spending time with people one-on-one compared to just, you know, mm-hmm. digitally sending an emoji and faces. So how do you foresee that, especially with this AI world? Yeah, I, well, I feel like connection is, like in-person connection is just becoming more rare. So by having the skills to interact and relate to different people of all different kinds and be able to hold conversation and flow with people, is becoming a more important skill just because it's more scarce. So I think that's one thing about, and like I, I, a lot of people are scared that AI is going to take their job. I'm not scared that AI is going to take my job because I'm just meeting people and sharing their stories. Oh yeah. For you, you're safe. You, you're safe. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. I think that like the younger generations, my cousin's husband is a teacher in high school and he says, like when you and I were in high school, like at the start of class, the teacher would have to quiet all the students down, like stop the chatter to start class. He said now at the start of class, like no students are talking because they're all on their phones. They're all. So I think that the, the fact that the younger generations won't be as skilled in it. And I do think there's a bell curve. Like I think there's plenty of kids from Gen Z and, and afterwards who are totally skilled at being able to have social interactions but there's always a bell curve and I think that there'll be a lot of people that struggle with it and will need help in those areas. So yeah, I, I think just learning how to interact with people and be confident and comfortable with it is becoming more important because you have the option to not do it. 
And a lot of people will take that option because it feels safe. It feels easy. And that's so true because anytime I visit my nieces and nephews, you find them in one room, the TV's talking about everybody's on their iPad or their phone, and people rather text each other. Like, literally, you're sitting right there, but you're texting me instead of just looking up from your phone and saying, hey, <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I, 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 want, I, I wonder how our kids... God forbid. I don't know how their dating life will be and how they will be meeting people because it's getting more scarier and scarier on how less interaction people prefer these days, one-on-one, like in-person interactions compared to, oh, let's just jump on a Zoom. Like, literally, you live five minutes away from me. What would you want to jump on a Zoom? Jump on a Zoom is for people who are miles away from me, like, literally, where I have to get on a flight. But you live right across the street and you want to jump on a zoom it's ridiculous yeah i think people who struggle with social anxiety it's like an easy out for them but as with anything if you don't work on it it's just going to get worse that's why we need you to 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 hurry up so you can be that professor and start teaching people Mm -hmm. these because because i feel like by the time you're going to be there your class you will be getting a lot of students because all these kids who are not knowing how to learn, they're all going to be in your class learning how to do one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll teach them. I'll be teaching them. So you see, your future job is safe. Your future yeah. job is safe. <laughs> so if there's one piece of advice you would offer to someone who is seeking to be more intentional about their interactions and relationships, what would it be? It would be to set a connection goal for you. And this is what I speak about, like set a connection goal for yourself. And then you can use that friend framework, the family and relationships, industry, entertainment, needs and dreams to unpack people's stories. And then just like reflect on those connections and what you learn from people in some capacity. But having a goal, whether it's something you publicize or not, I would say it doesn't, it doesn't mean you have to have an agenda, but you have context. Like when you and I met, there was no agenda to it, but you still understood that you were helping me reach this goal that I set out to do. And I've seen so many people do it. Like there's a woman here in Philly who I met and she tries to meet with different women in the city every week and she shares their stories on LinkedIn. So she's growing her network every week by having these interactions and there's no agenda, but she's just sharing their stories. I'm, I've met multiple people. Like there were two guys in Toronto who tried to meet over a hundred people each during the pandemic and they did that. So, and and if you, and there's a book called A Curious Mind by Brian Grazer. He's a Hollywood producer. Just every two weeks throughout his career, he's had a curiosity conversation with someone outside of the film industry who inspires him. And it's like, you got to get the wheels turning. But if you become someone where habitual connection, routine connection becomes part of your identity, it makes it really easy to then go and connect with people because people will be like, oh, that's just what he does, or that's just what she does. She meets one new person every month. She's been doing it for years. So people be like, oh, well, I want to meet with her. Like, I'll meet with her in June, or I'll meet with her in August, or you should meet with my friend who's going to be here. So having the goal gives you an excuse to connect with people. And the more you do it, like, if you're like, well, I'm bad at conversation, you don't have to be good at conversation with the people you meet one through ten. You don't even have to be good at one through a hundred, but the more you do it, the more comfortable you become. And then from a hundred onwards, 
you become this really skilled conversationalist. So like have the goal and give yourself grace in the beginning to stumble. You don't need to be perfect right away. You just need to grow. So I think that's what I would say based on my experience. I love that. And speaking of goals, are there specific goals or insights you're excited to explore as you continue connecting with these incredible human people, human beings? I don't know if I have like goal goals or insights. I very intentionally have had the goal just be 10,000 people one-on-one for one hour each. And then I just want to see what comes of it. Because then kind of like we were talking about like treating it like an experience rather than a transaction. Mm-hmm. If I just have that goal and then I'm open to everything, I get to take it all in. But if I'm like, well, I want to do this because I want to learn how people feel about this particular thing, then I miss so much stuff. So the only goal is to spend an hour one-on-one with 10,000 people and I guess I would say to eventually start meeting people in other countries in person. Like I would love to travel with the project. I just haven't had the funds or opportunity to do so yet. But I think that that's going to be coming in, in the coming years. So, yeah, I'm just open to the evolution of it. I love that. Um, <clears throat> I was interviewing somebody this this week, right? He is a writer in 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 Florida, south of Florida. Uh, he writes he, 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 for like so many newspapers and magazines. He works on four podcasts. He's a PR manager, social media. I was like, how do you do all this and not let it drain your mental health? It was like, I once a week I go out and actually meet people and talk to them with no agenda. I was like, interesting you say that because I just met somebody called Rob who is doing this with 10K people. So it's amazing that people, there's still people out there who realize the importance of those one-on-one connections and that and to him that going out to just hang out and speak to new people, to meet people is a way for him to, to keep his mental health sane. And mm-hmm. it also made me realize like, Anytime I'm having a bad day, but then I have to get on a podcast interview with somebody and have those conversations, it always helps my mental health. Like my podcast has been my mental health, having those conversations. So I wish yeah. more people understood how the, the importance of these connections and meeting people. So when you started, you were doing it, all of them in person, right? Then later on, you started doing it online. What made you mix it up with online COVID, I, I could, oh, yeah. I, yeah, it was, uh, I never would have, well, I don't know. I had no intention of doing virtual calls until COVID and I was staying away from virtual calls. People would reach out from other places and I'd say, I'd love to meet you someday if I'm ever in your area. But then when meeting people virtually became the only option, then I did most of, I mean, I did all of them virtually during COVID and now it's like just a mix because that that barrier has been broken down. So there's no reason for me to build it back up and say, I'm only doing it in person. So, and I like the perspective that I get from being able to meet people from different cities and different countries. And yeah, I think there's pros and cons to both in person and and virtual. So it'll just be a mix. My hope is that it's like a 60, 40 split in person versus virtual, but yeah, you just like, I don't know that that was the thing. And it, it, was really cool to be talking to people from all around the world during that time. And I feel like it helped me go from an American to a global citizen. 
And I'm glad you opened the door because we en- we ended up being able to connect. And I know we are gonna meet one day, definitely one day very yeah. soon, probably next year. I know we are definitely gonna meet. Um, so Rob, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. How many people are you meeting today? I know you've already met one. Just one, and then I did this, and I'm going to hang out with my nephew after this, and then grab him to Yeah, yeah. Aww. All right. So your mission is very inspiring i like what you're doing and i know uh, a lot of people are gonna appreciate what you're doing once they listen to this how can the listeners get involved how can they learn more or even contribute to your experiences to your experiences and create ah! oh my god good, what good. is wrong with me <laughs> <laughs> contribute to the experiences you're creating through these interactions they i'm on instagram at rob's 10k friend and that's where i keep track of everyone's stories so they can just shoot me a dm on instagram to meet and we'll set up a time and hang and that's i have a website rob's 10k friends.com which is dedicated to the project and then i have another website rob lawless.com which is dedicated to all my speaking they're interested in seeing like what i speak about so yeah those are the main things but my project is rob's 10k friends on instagram and Anyone who is interested in meeting, I would love for them to message me because I'm always looking for more people. Yes, people go support. We want to make sure this 10K happens so Paula can throw the most incredible event of the world. That will be the most, I think, everybody will be covering that. Kerry Claxton will be calling you to cover yeah. that. Because yeah. even, imagine you bringing all your 10,000 people. I don't know if we'll be able to bring all of them together, mm-hmm. but as, as many as we can together yeah. so um, thank you so much Rob, for hanging out with me yeah thank you for having me i appreciate you giving me a platform to share my story definitely and you all go support go contribute i believe on his page there's a way to contribute let's help him make this shit happen okay all right before let me end this recording ship talkers for tuning in and spending your valuable time with us we appreciate you to connect with us more make sure you subscribe to our newsletter and catch all the ship talking vibes before anybody else you can subscribe to our newsletter through our website www.talkshitwp.com and or our merchandise website www.talkshitwp.shop and while you're there feel free to shop away <laughs> Talkshit with P is available on all social media platforms with the handle Talkshit with P. Follow us and engage with us. Better yet, if you're feeling generous, give us a review on Apple Podcasts and or rate us on Spotify. You can also share a beer with me where my beer lovers at. I mean, what better way to support the movement than sharing a beer with me by buying me a beer at buymecoffee.com. Thank you for listening, sharing, engaging, and support in any way that you do. Remember, new episodes are out every Wednesday and for part two, if any, on Fridays. Let's talk and all listen to some shit. Happy shit talking.